Howdy, folks. Welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Amelson IV. On today's episode, we're talking about Boo Dixon, lead singer of Supreme Commander, co-host of District of Misfits, and founder of CrushingDC.com. We're going to geek out about punk rock, pro wrestling, and his podcast. That's a lot of peace. Anyway, we're going to take a street level on this episode. So if you're a friend of my language, okay. So how's it looking out in D.C.? Uh, Climate-wise, today was gorgeous. I went to... Uh... I want a bike ride with my kids down at Haynes Point, uh, East Potomac Park for all you tourists. Uh, it was nice. Um, still shut down. Everything's still <laughs> closed and quiet. And if it was open, I would be too sketched out to go anyways. <laughs> Understood. So where'd you grow up? I born in born in Georgetown. At Columbia Hospital for Women, which is now condos, um, and then raised between. Well, I lived uh, on Georgia Avenue in uh, Columbia Heights, uh, Georgia, and Lamont um, for up until like kindergarten or so. My mom did not want me going to DC public schools in the '80s, so we moved to Langley Park. <clears throat> In Adelphi, Maryland, represent. And uh, yeah, I was there for a few years, and then moved to Silver Spring, and then kind of sort of ping ponged around Silver Spring, Tacoma Park, um, then back to uh, back to Adelphi. I lived in Mount Rainier for a little while. Um, eventually, ending up back in Silver Spring and graduating from Blair High School, uh, and then. Um, I moved into the city in 95 and never looked back. Okay, cool. So how'd you get into punk rock? How did I get into punk rock? I guess LSD, Tacoma Park, um, and a garage, call, a, a garage that we got to turn into a clubhouse that we called the Ashtray. And um, yeah, it was an overgrown carport and my friend's parents was they want they needed it cleared out it was like it was a mess and um there was a garage next to it and so we made a deal that if we did this work they'd give us the garage to hang out which to them being these hippie parents in tacoma park you know having a place safe space for the kids to hang out and they're not running the streets you know we were like it was it was it was it was done 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 deal so yeah, we'd hang out, and that was where I, that's where I got stoned for the first time. Um, and, you know, standard shit, Ramones, fucking Pistols. Uh, the Misfits was my for real gateway drug into punk. Um, like, yeah, Static Age was uh, groundbreaking for me. Um, I remember getting high on Tie Stick for the first time. And fucking listening to that fucking um, Legacy of Brutality, listening to that just over and over and over and over and over again. I was fucking obsessed. Um, and then uh, Subhumans, The Damned, uh, The Dwarves, Blood, Guts, and Pussy, and that fucking record, like, best album art ever. Fucking um, yeah, it's and then uh, I wanna I met this kid at church, 
named Mike Tamales who took me to my first hardcore show at uh, um, Sanctuary Theater by the National Cathedral. Uh, I Spy was uh, was the show. Good times. Good times. Another life-changing day. You mentioned you like some British invasion bands too growing up too, right? Oh, so yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, my folks, my folks, my, like, well, okay, my mom, my parents got married when I was two, divorced when I was four. Um, but my mom was into, like, she was, I mean, like, originally I came up on Earth, Wind, and Fire, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Commodores, uh, Quincy, you know, just anything that Quincy Jones had anything to do with. Um, and then I just always kind of gravitated towards, like, you know, as a kid, I just was obsessed with, yeah, British Invasion stuff, like early Who um, and, you know, the Beatles, early Stones. Um, and just, like, I also was, like, really into, like, Woodstock, you know, classic, that, that you know, Woodstock music. I had no idea what it was. It just it resonated for me. And I was also really lucky because I grew up during the age of Soul Train. So having that to contrast the two with, like, you know, American Bandstand, and solid gold and you know like i just i felt like i grew up in a good age I, I, okay sometimes i feel like i was born five years too late because i missed some of the great dc punk clubs you know like i missed i missed insect I, I missed the heyday of insect club i missed the hung jury heyday of that uh dc space um you know posers there's a few other places like but I mean, otherwise, I feel like I grew up during a good time. There was so much good music going on, and still a lot of room to break ground. You know, in hindsight. I can see. I always feel I was born. I always feel the same way too. I felt I was born. I was born in nineteen eighty-four, right? So when all the cool stuff was happening, I was like eight or nine, right? So I'm like, okay, Nirvana was kind of cool. I like to see them live. Whoop, Kurt Cobain killed himself. Shit. Okay, yeah. can't do that. Uh, what else happened? Damn, Easy E just died of AIDS. Okay, can't see that now. Um, how about that Tupac? Oh, he got shot. So it was almost like, damn. So when I did get to that age, um, nine eleven happened. Everything changed, and we got Nickelback. Yeah, dude. If you were a teen during the aughts, you got hosed. Oh yeah, totally. You totally. got hosed. You had boy bands and shitty new metal. And butt rock out the fucking ass, like you got fucking hosed culturally. I mean, unless the only good shit that was going on for real was, I mean, hardcore, and there was, there was a lot of great hardcore. There's a lot of great metal. If you were into the rave scene, I mean, the rave scene was on fire. The jungle drum and bass. Oh yeah. You know, like yeah. So, but it just in general. Oh, let me. This is the this is when Limp Biscuit reigned. Like, get the fuck out of here. Get the you know. When we when you regretted the like, I rem I remember a time when the thought of playing some really heavy like crunchy you know moshy music with like a dude like throwing a sick rhyme down over it. I remember when like that was inconceivable, and then. Run DNC and Aerosmith, and people are like, "What?" And just you know, it's so fucking elementary now. But like back then, it 
you know, it was like, oh, somebody put their chocolate in my peanut butter. Yes. <laughs> you know, type situation. Like, and then it just got horribly, horribly, horribly abused. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's getting credit for that. Anthrax and UTFO. Anthrax and UTFO. Okay, so I felt like there was a there was a moment, there was a peak. The peak of it for real was Public Enemy and Anthrax yes. doing Bring the Noise. I really honestly feel like the rap metal thing could have stopped 100% there. It would have ended on a high note. Um, and, you know, nothing but fond memories. But we had the record industry got a hold of it, and festivals became a huge thing, and people love money. And, yeah. You know, Lincoln Park, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and talk too much smack about Lincoln Park, but, I mean, they were, like, the pinnacle of the corporate, quote-unquote, metal band. They were a hot topic band, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. You know, just like Good Charlotte is hot topic fucking punk rock. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and I know people that are friends with those dudes, like close friends, to the point where I normally don't talk that much shit about those dudes. Because they're actually nice dudes in real life, but their music is not my cup of tea to be diplomatic. My guitar teacher plays some shows with the twins. So, you know, I remember, yeah. and I was hanging around Waldorf just when they moved to L.A. Yeah, I was always just confused because they had a record label at one point called DC Flag Records. They did, yeah. But it was based out of Toronto. And I took issue with that. I took issue with that. I took issue with the fact that, like, now, while I didn't go to every hardcore and punk show that ever happened in D.C., I don't recall ever seeing those dudes at one. And that just, and, you know, and who knows? Maybe that's just the circles that I ran in. You know, who fucking knows? But I'm like, I listen to their shit, and I'm like, that's not punk rock. No. That, that's that's mall rock. That, that's, 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 that's pro... You know, if those dudes were any older, I would call it Spencer's Rock. <laughs> Damn. That's a great way to put it, though. I wasn't trying to throw shade. I'm just speaking from the heart, bro. Understood. You know, <laughs> I'll put it this way. Here's the thing about it. I can't deny certain things because that was kind of like my gateway, right? But what happened was what got me into punk really kind of shook me about a, shook me about a shirt collar was my dad over here me listening to Blink-182. He said, what the hell is that? I was oh. like, it's punk rock. I was like, that is not punk rock. And he still had Iggy and the Stooges on Raw Power on vinyl. First of all, props to your old man. Yeah. Um, for, yeah, just for full-on full on taste points, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I was really, really glad I could say I got to see Iggy and the Stooges um, at one of those Virgin Festivals that they did at Pimlico uh, back, in the, back in the aughts. So that was a good time. Um, Iggy still had it, man. Still got it. Oh, and they had Mike and Mike Watt from Firehose was playing bass. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was fucking super dope, too. That's another guy I don't feel gets enough credit. You know, R.I.P. to D-Boon, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, Firehose was one of those super niche you know, alternative punk. You know, they had a punk aesthetic without being punk. They were, you know... 
kind of eclectic and nerdy in their own way. Like most of the people that I knew that were super into Firehose, actually most people I knew that were into Firehose also really did appreciate some good classic quality punk too. So oh, yeah. there's definitely, a, a, in the in the Venn diagram, there's definitely some overlap. Oh yeah. But yeah, you know, and after her search and destroy, I ain't been right since, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Shoot. Oh, bra power will fucking do it to you. Oh yeah, it was a, it was a street walking cheetah with a, a heart full of napalm. I'm done. I literally have goosebumps right now because I just said those words out loud to you. Exactly. The power, the just the power in that one lyric. You're done. You're fucking done. Now, I'm anima of the state. If if punk rock had never ever existed, and you just that record just magically appeared somewhere. Like on a technical level, because Travis Barker is a, just a machine. Oh, totally. You know, he's he's actually so precise that you can't call. I mean, you definitely can't call him a punk rock drummer. You can't really even call Blink One Eighty Two a punk band because he's just so so. Te- you know, he's so on point. But that record is sick, and it's ninety percent because of him. Oh yeah. Like he makes three chord punk interesting. The first and last track on that record, if I remember correctly, because I, I had a copy of the CD and I, I don't know why. I think I was trying to get laid or something, but and someone she saw it and she was like, oh. and we put it, you know, whatever. Anyways, um, but I remember being like, oh fuck, like these dudes can, these dudes can play, like yeah, but it's so clean, it's so clean, That's it's so nice, so so Wonder Bread, minus the sick drums. True, you know, like okay, the only Blink One Eighty Two album I ever really got was the the live on the Mark Tom and Travis show, right? And I admit it, it's a little raw, but nowhere near as raw as they should have been. I put it out. I mean, I do appreciate like they had like a kind of a an arty an artsy arc. They had a couple records that were a couple singles that were very like. Wow, kind of melancholy and serious. That one about the suicide song, like that fucking Adam song, yeah, yeah, like oh, man, okay, you you guys are deep, yeah, yeah, you guys are deep. You're not just, you know, I, there's a lot of Cali punk bands that are, um, there's a lot of Cali, there's a lot of West Coast punk bands that I appreciated their technical proficiency and their ability to play, but they were just. You grow up in the sun. You grow up in the sun near the beach, and the biggest problem is that your parents are dicks and don't understand you. Like, I don't know, being from the East Coast, we have a, I don't know, we have bad weather, we have crime, and, you know. Exactly. And just, you know, traffic, like, just, ah, you know, it's just strife, and just, we're just like, ah, all the time, and so I like some angst with my punk. I like, I, I like punk that makes you want to, some people like punk that makes you want to jump on a skateboard and go. I like punk that makes you want to fucking light shit on fire. There you go. You know, <laughs> one thing about West coast punk that always, something I noticed a while back and I can't unhear it. I've always thought like a lot of West coast punk guys had that kind of nasally sound. So they all sound like weird. Yankee Yankovic to me. Yeah, oh, man. Oh, so I was on Facebook the other day, and I joined this group. It's uh, Punk Rock Dads, because I'm a punk rock dad. And 
there was this meme and it was the sickest fucking burn. It was a uh, a picture of a dude's arm blank, but wrapped in plastic, like he just got tattooed. And he's like, "Yo, man, I finally got that bad religion tattoo I always wanted." Or no, he's like, "I finally got a tattoo of my favorite bad religion lyrics." That's what it was. <laughs> it was yeah, I fucking screwed up the delivery, but I fucking cried. That shit. Was hilarious. So Bad Religion is a band that I respect the institution. I respect their ethos of what they do. But all their songs sound the same to me. And I don't know. I feel like if Bad Religion was my first introduction into punk, I might not necessarily like punk. You know, it's kind of funny. That reminds me when I first heard The Misfits. The thing about it was, it was when they went more in a thrashy direction. So I was like, okay, this sounds like Slayer if they didn't try hard enough. What's the big deal about it? Oh, are you talking about Earth AD? No, no, no. I'm talking about when the Misfits had Michael Graves. Ah, That's when I first heard them, you know, like. Michael Proud Boy Graves. Yeah. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious when his band quit on him. They were like, nope, not doing it. Okay, so let me tell you something. I... I was such a diehard Misfits fucking fan that I used to bootleg my own fucking t-shirts with my help with help from my my friend Tom. And when they reformed that first tour with Graves, American Psycho Tour, they played 930 Club. I went with my buddy Tom. We had a fucking blast. Like like you know, Graves was young, he was enthusiastic, the crowd was eating it up. He was singing the Misfits songs. He was singing the classic songs well enough to pass. And, you know, America cycled the songs on there. Like, he was singing those well because it was his shit and he was comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, we're like, oh, fuck, okay. Like, because the last couple times I tried to see the Misfits, it was like some weird shit where it was Jerry only singing. And no disrespect to Jerry, who I've met a few times, and he's a really nice dude. Um, really, really nice dude. Um, like, come on, that's not what we—that's not what I signed on for. So I'll um, never forgive him for WCW. Oh fucking god, yeah, Vampiro, <laughs> fucking yeah. So, uh, uh, so on that tour, I ended up seeing the Misfits like three, maybe four fucking times, and every time it got worse. Every time it got worse, and the last time we saw them was at the Trocadero in Philly. And not only were there, like, fucking Nazis everywhere, and, like, and it was just me and two... It was me, a friend of mine who I took martial arts with, but we were still, like, cubs, like, still yellow belts and shit, and his girlfriend and, like, another buddy of ours. And we're at this club, and we're watching the pit, and... You just see motherfuckers are like Sig Heiling and just beating the shit out of anybody who's not like one of them. So we're like, okay, backs against the wall. Let's enjoy this show. And then we're going to get the fuck out of here uh, and drive our asses back to D.C. Um, and so. Yeah, where was this? This this is in Philly. Oh, shit. Philly at the Trocadero. Actually, that's not even the worst. That, was, that wasn't even the worst one. That's the second to worst. But I'm going to tell you the story anyways. So. He's on, like, they're on stage doing some song. Some crowd surfer gets up on stage. Michael Graves takes the microphone, 
wraps the cord around this dude's neck a couple of times and then kicks him. Holy shit. And fortunately, the microphone, the cable, the cord came out of the mic. And the dude fucking like fell back in the audience and the cord came unraveled. But Michael Graves almost hung a motherfucker in front of like 2,000 people or however many people the truck holds, held. I think it's closed now. But yeah, he almost fucking killed the motherfucker. Like it was, it was crazy. And then I saw him at Nation and he had some crazy meltdown on stage and he attacked the monitor guy that was on the side of the stage and then ran out the fucking back door. And this is down in Southeast on a Sunday in, fuck, I don't know, 2000 or some shit. Um, and he's in like a fishnet long sleeve shirt and leather pants and boots with a double lock running around the fucking hood. Um, but he was awful. He was horrible. He was a fucking little, little bitch. And then, so it makes perfect sense that years and years later, when he's desperate for, you know, to be relevant, he would glom on to, you know, some, and a group as illustrious air quotes <laughs> as the proud boys. Oh, uh, shout out. Also real quick, speaking of proud boys, shout out to the gay community for reclaiming that hashtag. Uh, and this past week, because the universe is awesome and 2020, um, the proud boys in Response to that changed their name to the Leatherman or to Leatherman. I and so saw then, that. Oh my so god! So then all the leather, all the leather daddies jumped on on there. So shout out to all the all the leather daddies out there. You know, which I get you. I mean, all a part of the community too. Just you know, being being specific. Dude, they paid uh, the way for heavy metal fashion. Dude, Judas motherfucker priest, Rob Halford, the original leather daddy. Exactly. Shout out. You know, all I'm saying is too bad that meltdown that Michael Graves had wasn't a day before because he'd be crying on a Saturday night. <laughs> well played. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, actually, speaking of Judas Priest, I somebody was uh, I read somewhere, or maybe I was on Twitter, saw a tweet or some one of these metal magazines, metal publications or whatever, ever was talking about how Painkiller might have been one of the like Pound for Pound might be, like, the best metal album of its time. Oh, yeah. I can totally see that. Because Priest had sort of dropped out for a while. They'd been, like, laying low, and then they came out with that shit. I remember I remember the world premiere on Headbangers Ball of Painkiller and that fucking shit. Like, if you didn't have epilepsy, if you had epilepsy, don't watch that fucking video because he was definitely going to stroke the fuck out. Like, it's just no joke. So good. Hmm. Judas Priest. Speaking of British bands and going back to British Invasion, did you ever get into a band called The Equals? No. Not familiar. They had a song called Police on My Back. The Clash covered them. Oh, so maybe... Okay, so maybe I've heard the Clash version. The funny thing about it is the guy that was in The Equals was actually Eddie Grant. No shit. I kid you not. I feel like Eddie Grant doesn't get anywhere near the no, attention not or credit that he deserves. Wait, what was that song? Police on my back. Now I want to hear it. Police on my back. Fucking Eddie Grant. You know what? If Electric Avenue was the only fucking song that dude ever wrote, I'd be okay with that. Oh, yeah. The crazy <laughs> thing about Police on my back, the crazy part about that song, 
really, it was talking about police brutality. And he was in London. They were in England talking you know, about this. If 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 prostitution is the oldest profession, I feel like police brutality is like the fifth oldest profession. I would say that. <laughs> yeah. You have to make light it. of police brutality. If you don't laugh, if I don't laugh, listen. Resort to arson. Listen, my mom and I both had guns in our face. You know, if we survive, we can laugh about it. Oh, fuck yeah, dude! You know what? I might be into this original a little bit more. No disrespect to the clown. I don't think they mind it. 1969. Yo, I'm telling you. That was a sick fucking time for music, man. Oh, yeah. I was like, everybody fucking chipping balls and banging each other and having a good old time. Exactly. The worst thing you can have is a clap or the best thing you have is an applause. Damn. That's a good... That's, thank you for that. It's almost like if the Beatles went reggae or ska, that's what it sounded like. You know what would be funny? Imagine if the Beatles, instead of, like, going to India and getting all, like, into that shit, what if they had gone to Jamaica and become Rastafarians? <laughs> you know, it's a damn good question. What if, like... I just imagine, like, a, a dubbed-out version of why they wouldn't do it in the road. Dude, Eleanor Rigby, all dubbed the fuck out. I've heard many versions of that, actually. Or, of... no, dude... Tomorrow, no. oh, you actually, there's the dude, there's the people that do the, like, was it, uh, Easy Dub All-Stars? Yeah, those guys. Yeah, those guys are dope. Um, but, like, yeah, a dubbed-out version of Tomorrow Never Knows? I'd be super into that. Oh, yeah. Shoot. That's my jam. That's my favorite Beatles song. Like, when people talk shit about the Beatles, I'm like, I, I, I ain't got time for you. You think the but, reason why people are trying to talk shit about the Beatles, but these, these kids coming up, the reason why they're trying to piss off, like, an older generation... I mean, if you're going to be contrarian, that's fine. Like, you just, you, you just look like an idiot, though, because... They like, do. Like... To be like, oh, I don't like the... Uh, how about this? To say something like the Beatles... It's one thing if you're like, I don't like the Beatles. That's a fact. But if you're like, the Beatles suck, that's an opinion. And them being the kind of band that morphed as much as they did over the years, in my opinion... There's probably some era of the Beatles that will appeal to somebody. You know, you may not like the Love Me Do shit. You might like the Rubber Soul shit. You might like the White Album shit. You might like, who knows? But I mean, there's just, there's just, there's something for everybody. Helter Skelter and I Want You, She's So Heavy are proto metal tracks. Those are in my top five. Oh, yeah. Beatles songs. You know? I went through a phase where all I really liked was the Sgt. Pepper's Yellow Submarine shit, but again, I was a teenager doing a shit ton of acid, and it just made sense at the time. Oh, totally. That goes hand in Um, hand. You know, but... Yeah, you know, you gotta gotta give the Beatles space. It's like people are like, ah, Led Zeppelin sucks. It's like, no, dude, there's just... You just haven't heard that song yet. Exactly. Now, granted, the Beatles were... Beatles are in a bit of a different class. Maybe the Who might be a better example. Yeah, of yeah, 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 Like yeah. had like their their phases, their eras, you know. But I tell you what, 
You talk all the shit you want about the Beatles. You talk shit about Queen. We're fucking going outside and we're fucking going to knuckle up. Like, that's where I draw the line. Freddie Mercury had hands. That's what I'm going to say. Remember, he clocked out of the guy, Sid Vicious, you know, at a, at a rehearsal studio. Oh, yeah. Fuck Sid Vicious. Fuck yeah. Son. What's sad is that that is like, I, actually, hopefully by now, because, well, now if you say, you know, if you ask the average person, what do you think of when you, when I, who do you think of when I say punk rock? I feel like the world has moved on enough now. Sid Vicious isn't going to be your default answer. Somebody you'd probably say like Billy Joe from Green Day or some dumb shit. Exactly. Uh, A friend of mine actually punched up Billy Joe Armstrong one time at a show. Billy Joe Armstrong has a very punchy face. Very punchable. The the reason why, I understand the reason why he did it though. Okay, for legal reasons, I had to say allegedly. Allegedly, of course, always. The reason why is because my buddy Calvin Chaos, may he rest in peace, um, he hated Green Day. He hated Offspring. In fact, he was in the Afro Punk movie. You know, um, you know, big muscly guy, ball guy, really deep voice. Uh, sound like Isaac Hayes of Hardcore. Basically, to see what he sounded like. Um, one day he was at a bar, and um, he happened to be, you know, there. And Green Day was no secret show or something like that, right? So what happened was, you know, Billy Joe Armstrong allegedly put his hands on or pushed a pregnant woman. So Calvin allegedly said, all right, I have had enough of this and punched the fuck out of Billy Joe Armstrong and ran the fuck off. He's only like fucking five foot two or some shit, right? I have no idea. He's a little motherfucker. But it does explain why he plays a Les Paul Jr. That might explain a few things. Yeah, he's a little dude. He's petite. That dude shops in the kids section, I think. So Danzig and Prince. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not hating. I just as a six foot three, two hundred. Oh my god, pound dude. Like just making. Oh, yeah. Just saying. Understood. But, you know, you shouldn't. You should not be conducting yourself in that manner when you are of that, that tiny stature. No, no, bad idea. All right, so, all right, so what other bands have you played in? Um, well, not that any, well, let's see. My first band was called Crossbreed. We were this, we were, we were an aspiring metal band out of Silver Spring. Uh, And we called ourselves Crossbreed because we were a very cross, we were a mix, like racially speaking. We had, um, well, we had two white guys, but um, we had one guitarist who was Peruvian and then myself. Um, and so we were like, yeah, you know, it's fucking like, yes, interracial metal band, fucking like. And then eventually that band morphed into uh, what I consider to be like my first actual band. Uh, we were called Nefarious, and we were a grindcore band. We were awesome. Like we were good, and then we got awesome. And then our guitar player um, let his grandparents convince him that he was never going to make it as a guitar player, which the dude could have totally made it as a professional musician. Like chops, the chops this dude had at at age 19, just ridiculous. Um, But instead he, they, they talked him into joining the military. Um, And so, yeah, that was a, that was a thing. And then I joined a, 
a hardcore punk band called Bullfrog, because that was in 95. I lived in a band, my first band house, my only band house uh, in Kensington with the dude that took me to my first punk show. Uh, and that ended, well, actually, a couple good things happened in that. And, like, you know, I got my first club, got, club job working there, living in, being in that band. Uh, at the Bayou, R.I.P. R.I.P. Um, but that 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 band imploded, uh, and <laughs> yeah, there was a domestic dispute that ensued allegedly. And then who won I, allegedly? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I was in a band called Once Even, uh, with um. My my dude Eric from Bullfrog uh, on drums, and Peter 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 Tesaurus from Fairweather, and uh, Rattler who now plays in Be Well Supergroup. Um, have you heard those dudes? No. Yeah, Be Well. It's Schleibaum, um, Brian McTurnan, the bass player from. Uh, Oh shit! Well, it's the drummer from Fairweather, Peter from Fairweather. Um, oh my god, I cannot believe I'm drawing a blank on the band that the bass player was in. Anyways, there's a supergroup, and it's awesome. It's like, it's got a pop. It's heavy. It's fast. It's got pop sensibility. There's really awesome classic breakdowns. You know, definitely worth giving a good listen. Hmm. But I dig. I digress. You asked about. So, are you doing vocals or are you playing bass? Oh, so I started off playing bass and, well, in Crossbreed, I played bass and did vocals. And then in Nefarious, I switched over to just vocals. By the time I got to Bullfrog, I was playing bass and doing backups. Uh, and then the same with Once Even. And then from Once Even was Wake Up Cold, which was me and Peter. Um, and JR from Next Step Up, and Chris Crabtree from, uh, oh my god, why am I blanking on all these bands? I should not have taken that bong. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a, he's in a band called Undermine, uh, with, uh, oh, and Jason Taylor. Uh, hmm. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, Peter left that band, and then we got Dom. He came in, and Dom eventually ended up playing with, like, Integrity. Uh, and, oh, doing, um, yeah, he's got a record label and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, so from there, yeah, just playing bass and stuff. Then eventually, uh, Wake Up Cold ended. I didn't really have anything going on. And then I got approached by the guys that would eventually be uh, Supreme Commander. And at that point, yeah, it's just um, just just doing vocals. But I had a band on the side, a jazz metal band called Empire by Design, that was one of the absolute most fun experiences ever. Like playing bass in this band, there's two brothers, the two half brothers, Nick and Aaron, and these dudes. Oh, and and Anthony, Baby Shoes on drums. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Baby shoes, McGillicuddy. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I'd always wanted to play in a band with him. He's like my cousin. And so, so yeah, the four of us, uh, it, it was just outrageous. We eventually had Troy um, from uh, Troy Nighthawk Collusion, Coulson. So we had Troy Coulson uh, playing, doing vocals for a little bit. But, like, that band, that band, I, when I listen to, like, the basement recordings of this band, I'm like, I can't believe I played this music. Because it's so just all over the fucking place. And, but, like, beautiful and brutal. And, yeah, just, just super dope. So when did you discover you can do vocals? Uh, I mean, I've been singing. I mean, I sang in choir when I was a kid. And, you know, I didn't really, like, actually start taking it. I don't want to say seriously, but, um, how about investing effort? (laughs) Um, I mean, I guess Supreme commander was where I kind of felt like I needed to develop a sound. You listen to the earlier stuff. It's kind of all over the map. I part of me, like they didn't want me to sound metal. And so I was like, okay, how do I metal was like my default setting. You know, when I was in, De- in Nefarious, I had, like, a carcass thing going. I was obsessed with carcass at the time, so I had, like, two different registers. You know, the really low guttural and then the high scratchy. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, fuck. I'm basically just, like, loud talking for a while and then maybe trying to add a little bit of melody in without being, like, you know, two corn. And this is the thing. The original version of Supreme Commander is a tough room. Like anything that was cheesy or whatever, like I would, they, they would give me the business. So I had to be really, um, I got a lot of leeway, but, you know, had to make sure that what I was doing was not something that would be subject to ridicule by, by the fellas. But most of the time they liked what I did, but there's a few times where, you know, notes were given and, and appreciated. You know, we got a better, a better result. Uh, me uh, now compared to then, like, is I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I'm a lot more comfortable in my skin as a singer. I know my lim, I know my limitations. Um, you know, to the point where you know I have a go-go band, and I was smart enough to bring in another vocalist to to handle the higher stuff, and also just to give us more of a dynamic. Like, you can't have one singer in a go-go band. That's just stupid. True, but you know, I guess you can be like lead talker, I guess, or something. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, what's well, a go-go band without a talker? Gotta talk. So when you say earlier stuff, you mean 120 years in the business and Paper Tigers, right? Well, technically speaking, 120 years, and then we have a couple of demos. Like, yeah, yeah, 120 years in the business. Paper Tigers is sort of at this point middle school because like some of those songs we had like this period in time where we were just so life events were getting in the way and we were just so unproductive that like by the time paper tigers came out some of those songs were five and six years old oh yeah and they're songs that um when we recorded um tooth and nail our last record because of life events and stuff, some of those songs 
are five and six years old because we had member changes. Um, you know, Mark who played Mark Ryder who played drums, oh, yeah. and Todd Bacabello who played bass. They left, and we brought on Andrew and Ryan on bass and drums respectively. And yeah, there was a point in time where like these new songs we were writing with them eventually just became songs. <laughs> you know, they weren't they weren't new anymore. Um, I think like the new by the time we got to the studio to record, um, we were out of commission for like a year and a half because Dan had uh, our guitar player. He had some neurological damage. Um, he had nerve atrophy in one of his hands. Yeah. So we had to have surgery and physical rehab and stuff. Um, so, so yeah, by the time, by the time we got in the studio, those songs were so well aged and Mike Schleibaum from of darkest hour. He, we recorded at his place in Tacoma park. Um, and we just blasted through that shit. We really did. Like those sessions, those sessions were great. Uh, he was really great to work with, and we yeah we killed it because we knew those songs backwards and forwards. It was, you know, it was, it was crazy. Very similar story regarding my band's EP. I'll just put it that way. Hell, I'm literally doing a documentary on the story because it's one of those weird rockumentary kind of things, you know. So yeah, oddly enough, you're Mark, behind. Is this your behind the music? Um. Yeah, but you can say that, you know. Oddly enough, the quick connection actually is Mark actually recorded a lot of those tracks of our bias. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's How is that place? I've never been there. It is fucking great. It is like the hallowed halls, actually. Like, literally everybody there from from Trouble Funk, Pentagram, Gil Scott Heron, and... Dude, you could just stop right there, dude. (laughs) Yeah. That is some wild shit right there. That is a... That's, even that's, even Ariana Grande recorded there once, and that was a weird story. I put it that way. That is a wide net that is cast right there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know. All right. So being a Supreme Commander, I was wondering. So what was DC's punk rock scene looking like? Well, I feel like when Supreme Commander first formed, DC was recovering from an era that I I hope someone will document this at some point but an era that I would refer to as a punk rock prohibition uh. like clubs were not having punk shows clubs were not having hardcore shows um, it, it, everything all that stuff was underground and it was all mainstream stuff so you know, first Supreme Commander shows. I mean, we pl- I mean, we played a lot of we played a lot of st- uh, shows out at Front Royal because that's where our drummer was from. And that was where we kind of sort of like got our stuff tightened up in front of a crowd because <clears throat> down there it's a young it's a young audience. These you know these kids there's not a whole lot going on. So when there's a show, it's a big it's a big deal. And so it was really <clears throat> it actually was kind of weird for like our first couple shows to be in front of like a whole rack of people, like, you know, sometimes a couple hundred kids, you know, and then come to DC and just have to struggle to get on to anything. Oh yeah. Because when there were shows, whoever was booking 
and there was, you know, there was, it was a bit clickish. It was very who you know kind of time. No shit. So. I don't want to, you know, it, yeah, it, it, as somebody who worked in, in the clubs, you know, I worked at Nation, I worked at the Bayou, I worked at 930, um, I worked at DC9, I managed Rock and Roll Hotel. Um, really? Yeah, I managed Rock and Roll Hotel, I managed Red and the Black, I managed Palace of Wonders, like, you know, it's like, I, I have nothing but love for, you know, the live music venue, especially the smaller, you know, places in this town. Um, and yeah, it's actually, it's really sad to see, to know that more, you know, half, if not more of them are going to go under and they're not going to come back. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, that is, let me put it this way. Let me rephrase that. There are a few venues that I did shed a tear that they shut down and there are other venues that I shed a tear of laughter because they did shut down. Yeah, yeah, that's totally. the best. Way. I'll put it that way. Yeah, totally. Um, and the thing is, the, the on as a as a glass, try, uh, in the spirit of being a glass half full kind of person, um, I'd like to think that nature abhors a vacuum, and so that this maybe will create fertile ground for new people, um, and. Who knows? I mean, God, we have absolutely no idea. I, I, I can't think more than 72 hours in advance, just given the state of the world right now. Um, just it's a, it's a self-preservation tactic. So, but who knows? Who, who knows what, what things are going to look like once things reopen, what property is going to be like, what rents are going to be like. And, and who knows? Maybe, yeah, we lose some places that were near and dear to us, but maybe we gain some new ones. Oh yeah, that'd be cool. You know, I was thinking if you ever open a venue, I thought of the perfect name. What's that? It'd be called the Ashtray. Huh. It just makes I sense. Mean, I mean, maybe. The... Yeah, I get well if you know me, it makes sense. But I feel like what a weird name for a bar. Okay, well, first of all, it definitely have to be a dive bar. Um maybe like some people would probably think it was like a cigar lounge because smoking Oh, that's okay. We we're, we live in an age now where just the smoking cigarettes is just so it's becoming. I feel like a rare a rare thing, you know. Like people's, you know, people do. You know, obviously people still smoke tobacco, but like it seems to have it seems to be on the decline, you know, with the increase in people vaping and stuff, and just I don't know. The more I look back on it as somebody who was a regular smoker. Like, it's just so weird. Okay, because I was thinking, like, you know, you had the pinch, right? And I'm like, if I need to put their hands on me, <laughs> it's, you know. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I want a cigarette. Like, it, that's, but then I get, like, partway through the cigarette, and I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? Yeah, doesn't hit right, does it? No, no. And I mean, <clears throat> okay, full disclosure, I didn't start smoking until I was 25. And that, no, actually take that back. Yeah, 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 25 and, no, no, I, I started smoking when I was 23. Why well, my first cigarette when I was 23? I started smoking when I was 25, and that was only because of Newports and Ecstasy. If it wasn't for the rave scene, if it wasn't for rave culture, 
and like doing ecstasy and seeing a bunch of people. I wanted to smoke some weed, but didn't have any handy or whatever. And everyone's smoking Newports, and I'm like, uh, should I get a Newport? And that first fucking drag, dude, it was magical. The shit was like heroin. You literally, I literally spent the rest of my Newport smoking career trying to chase that first fucking cigarette. Chasing the dragon. Chasing the... I was going to say chasing a menthol dragon, but yeah, pretty much. Yeah, dude, for real. I'm not even playing. When I think about, when I see someone pull out a, a pack of Newports, or if I see someone smoking one, like, I will immediately, like, flash back to that, and, like, I will want one, and it is strictly because, and I'll take that dragon, it won't be the same, I'll fucking be disappointed, you know, I'll probably still finish the fucking cigarette, but... Yeah, it is literally me just trying to, yeah, chase that first time. Because that first time was, oh, man, like, oh, my God, it all makes sense. Ah. So. All right. Well, speaking of, I would say in the 80s, there was two major cultural musical forms. That would be punk rock and go-go, right? And I see a lot of bands that try to do it but I feel like they can't pull it off. You know, but speaking from, from a musical perspective and a guy that digs both punk rock and go-go, do you think there is a way to fuse punk and go-go musically? Well, <clears throat> in... Technically speaking, it's already been done in a, in a matter... Yeah, it's already been done. Uh, Henry Rollins has had a project called wartime back in the nineties. If memory serves me correctly, there was this weird fucking time where punk people were doing weird projects with uh, non-punk people. Like there was that, was that pale head, which was like Ian Mackay and like Trent Reznor or some weird shit. Oh yeah. And then, uh, yeah. So, um, Oh yeah. Lard, which was, uh, Jello Biafra and like, like Hal Jorgensen or some shit, the ministry. Anyways, so yeah, Henry Rollins had this project called Wartime, and it was literally these songs with like distorted guitar and this groovy ass bass over like a go-go beat, and Henry Rollins just fucking screaming at you. I had no idea this existed because God, I'm gonna fucking Google see if I can find this now. It is absolutely positively worth a Google or a Bing, depending on your search engine preference. Because I know about Rollins Band, of course. Of course, I know about Henry Allen Collins and the wife beating child haters. Um, I know about stuff like that, but I did not know... Wait, what was that last thing you said? Henry Allen Collins and the wife beating child haters. Or was it Henry Allen Rollins and the wife beating child haters? Who's that? That was some weird project he had. It was Henry Allen Collins. Rollins. Collins, Henry Etta Rollins or Henry Etta Collins. Collins, it was Collins or Rollins? I can't remember because I read about him. I read about him was like fifteen or sixteen, and I barely remember last week. I wonder if this is on YouTube. Oh my God! It, I must have googled it before because it came right up. Yeah. So in nineteen ninety, he put out Wartime, a record called Fast Food for Thought. And oh yeah, it's I've definitely pulled this up before for somebody else. I gotta but, check this uh, out. Man, 
Oh shit. Oh, Henrietta Collins and the wife beating the wife beating child hitters came up in the thing too. I can hear Fainley in the background. I'm like, the fuck? Yo, it's on YouTube. I gotta put in, yeah, put in wartime Henry Rollins. I gotta send him my buddy Hassan. He's a big Henry Rollins guy. He digs go go and hardcore. Loves Fishbone and Steely Dan too. You know? Oh, I mean, dude, yeah, yeah, you just hit all my spots. Oh yeah. But I was thinking other bands too, like R.A. Geppetto, right? Because I, I think they're from Maryland, though, right? Wait, are they? Yeah, you heard of, you heard of Geppetto, right? Hmm. Oh yes, that Geppetto. Yes. I never listened to them, but like I remember seeing them, seeing you know them listed in the city paper. Oh yeah. Because you know, like, they were doing because they were doing like this go go thing too, and I didn't hate it. You know, it was like interesting. And okay, was so white, was it white white people go go? Pretty much. It was kind of like what Ian McKay was trying to do a waiting room, but feel that they did a little bit better. Oh. You know, those are fight, those those would be fighting words in some circles, bro. <laughs> Ian would admit it, though. I mean, at least Geppetto actually had Congos and shit. You Dude, know, I'm gonna go down a blow fly rabbit hole after I put my kids to bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, definitely put the kids to bed after. You know. Hey, you guys got 20 minutes. I love stay up an hour late because tomorrow's Friday. I'm dropping. I'm, I'm dropping them off. Uh, nice. All right. So, okay, because I was thinking like bands like Black Alley and Mambo Sauce too. You know, I was thinking about. Oh, okay. So, the first time I heard "Welcome to DC," I was like, "This is yeah, okay." When you add, uh, honestly, yeah, like I said, it's in in theory on page tech. It's been done. Mambo Sauce really very. I I I challenge a band to do it better than them. For real, I'm actually mad that I haven't heard more from them in, you know, in recent years. I've been wondering where the hell they've been, honestly. You know, shoot. But that's what I was thinking about. You're the project, Trouble Threat, right? The Mighty Trouble Threat. Yeah. So, because I remember, because we talked about a while back, like, you know, so possibly playing bass and everything, but, you know, weird stuff happens, you know? So yeah. I always wonder what happened with that because I really like the idea. So we um, we did. I did end up getting a, a group of people together, um, and I've, we're actually on lineup number. This lineup number two, um, but it's great. Um, we're rocking what? How many people now? Like seven or eight pieces. We got. Guitar, keys, two percussion players, drums, myself, and Mundy on vocals. Um, and yeah, when when we come together like Voltron, it's sick. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun, uh, and it's different. You know, it's all in tradition. You know, keeping to tradition. Well, not just keeping to tradition. A lot of those songs are covers and mashups and stuff. Um, okay. We have a Dan Snyder diss song. Um, called Danny, called Danny Boy, boy spelled B-O-I, uh, and uh, we uh, we cover Waiting Room actually, <laughs> and uh, that's a lot of fun. Nice, 
actually my band was working on doing a cover waiting room, but you know the the part where it stops. Yeah. The reason I did was to like, I forgot the rest of the song, and it's going to another song. Actually. I mean, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that as a fake out. Exactly. Like, exactly. You know. you know. Yeah. You know, just like a little. You know, not a jab or anything like just like I don't because I met Ian once. I think he would find it funny. Oh, um, well, when we we my when my friend passed, we played her memorial show. Um, Alec Mackay was there. Really? Yeah, and I would be uh, actually my my a mutual friend who was with him. I've been meaning to. Uh, ask him what he what his thoughts were on about i was kind of like hoping that one day organically like ian would just show up (laughs) you know what i mean he kind of materializes because i remember the first time i met him it was that um it was for the screening of finding joseph i you know yeah 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 like he he's down what are your thoughts on stuff like afropunk and punk black well i don't want to speak out of turn because i've never been to either um i did have an experience though where some folks from punk black reached out and were trying to set up a show at the pinch but they were like it was really whack dude like they they wanted us to sell tickets in advance it was a bunch of out-of-town ba- They wanted a bunch of local bands to come in here and set up this show so that a bunch of out-of-town bands could come in and play and get paid. And we were like, by, by the time it was all said and done, <clears throat> we're all just collectively like, nah, dude. You know? And we had started, we'd already kind of been hearing not-so-positive, you know, rumors about Punk Black. So this kind of you know, this, this, this kind of cemented that. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't speak on Afropunk. I can tell you that on paper, it sounds like Nirvana, the kind of thing that I would have loved growing up when I was an Afropunk, but did not know that that was even a thing. You know, I'm a proto Afropunk, oh, I yeah. guess. Um, yeah, it would have been great to have had some shit like that in the fucking nineties. Are you kidding me? Fuck yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I it, it, like from the outside, I hear from people now that it's not as cool as it used to be, and that it's you know, it's it's black artists, but the crowd is mostly white, and that to me is kind of weird if that's true. But again, I've never been, so I, I don't I don't know. And I'm fine. I kind of I kind of feel like at this point now, especially in the age of COVID, once things quote unquote return to normal. I don't know if that's something that I could really find myself being into. I, I, I'm weird about, I love music. I love people. I love social, social settings. But like sometimes if I don't have a buffer, if I don't have like a space where I can just go and sit and just chill in the middle of all that, festivals are, are not enjoyable to me. I understand because I was actually a member of the old Afropunk board back when I was actually back when it was a forum, you know, that promoted the movie before it became the equivalent to a alternative black maxim, I guess. I'm trying to, I don't know where they're going with this now. Alternative black maxim. I don't know where to go with this now, but it's, 
I'll put it this way. I was a part of East Paul Heyman's ECW, not Vince McMahon's ECW. You know what I'm right. saying? Mm-hmm. That's the best way I can describe it, you know? So, you know, there's a bit of, there's, there's some truth that I don't put it that way, you know? Okay. So going back to, going back to it. Um, so how did district misfits come about? So the district of misfits show is an offshoot. Well, actually it's a rebranding. We were the, we were the DC as fuck show, uh, initially. And we, we had like a changing in our infrastructure and how we were doing our show. Um, my co-host Marcus had a traumatic brain injury and had to take some time off. And so in the throes of all of that, when we decided to return, we're like, why don't we just go ahead and take this opportunity? You know, DC as fuck already had its stigma and its, you know, connotations of drama, whatever. So this was kind of a chance for us to, to do something, you know, like the DC as fuck show is what you expect the DC as fuck show to be which is us just getting fucked up and acting like dumbasses. Um, but the District of Misfits show was a chance for us, yeah, to reinvent ourselves and, you know, to, to make this show about whatever it is that um, really affects us. I mean, like, it's it's about shenanigans, but it's also politics. It's also about social issues and and the like, because you can't live in D.C., and ignore that stuff like i could i could have a podcast that's all just getting fucked up and talking shit like but but at this i'm trying to read the room and the room the room tells me that there needs to be some space for for both Um, all right so tell me more about the dc is fucked in because apparently you bought it right yeah so um it was a brand current, uh, previously owned um, by One Love Massive, uh, which is, I guess, more or less is defunct, uh, if not dissolved. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's 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 a brand. It's a, it's a it's an it's an attitude. Like I mean, we there was a point in time where people had issues with it because the original owners of it were not technically from DC. Um, but it, it, it resonates, it resonates with a certain cross section of people that, you know, that I get down with. Um, there is a rebel element to it. There is a dissent, you know, a dissident element to it. Um, it is punk rock in its, you know, in its ethos in a way. Uh, and so when offered the opportunity to acquire it, my partners and I uh, at Crushing DC uh, decided to to jump on it. By the way, if you have a chance, uh, check out crushingdc.com. Um, it is uh, we we are combining our love of apparel with art and activism uh, and podcasts. So we just launched the site a couple weeks ago. It's predominantly just uh, apparel, but we are starting to upload episodes of the District of Misfits show, as well as old episodes, um, clips from the DC as fuck show. Uh, and then we are in 2021 uh, going to start um, 
producing more podcast content, other podcasts. We have uh, a political one. We, uh, we're talking about maybe doing a wrestling one. We have a cooking podcast uh, on, 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 on the way, uh, as well as we, my partner, Marcus, who had the traumatic brain injury. He wants to do a podcast about concussions and have people on who have suffered, you know, traumatic head injuries and talk about their experiences and, and the like. Um, and, and so that's kind of like phase one and two. Phase three is we want to have a page, a forum on there where we can promote independent artists, uh, musicians, photographers, painters, sculptors, videographers, you, you know, what have you, chefs, <clears throat> if you're opening a re restaurant tours, you know, if you're local and you're opening a restaurant, um, and you know, we want to be able to, to highlight those, you know, those things. Uh, and then we also want to do an outreach where we want to teach, we want to, we want to teach people how to do podcasts. If this is something that you'd ever been interested in, uh, as well as we built, we built a studio, uh, in Mount Rainier that we are putting the final finishing touches on. And so once it's safe, we are hoping that it's a place where, you know, people can come and record, and, you know, podcasts and, you know, learn the ins and outs um, and start broadcasting their messages, whatever they may be. Yeah, because I was checking out the Crushing DC site and I noticed the radio part. I noticed you had your some of your solo projects up there. Yeah, I threw up there just to come, just to fill up some space. Um, some beats that I had been working on over like the last few years and I had been wanting to put lyrics to, wanting to put vocals to, but the ones that I put up there, I felt like they stood up on their own as instrumentals. I kind of, when I'm, when I'm making them, I kind of am making them with the intent of being instrumental. And then if they do have lyrics added to them, then it will only make them that much better is my, is my, my thought process behind it. <clears throat> But, um, yeah, it's nice. It's good. It was motivation for me to keep productive during uh, quarantine since I can't see either of my two bands. I can't jam with them. Although I did have a jam session with some members of uh, Trouble Threat on Sunday. Um, we got together at my bass player's uh, house in Tacoma Park, and we jammed in his driveway. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we had guitar, bass. It was, it was guitar, bass, drums, percussion, and me. Um, and yeah, just uh, played the songs that we could play, you know, given who we had there. Um, but yeah, it was nice. It was fun. I forgot, you know, the energy of physically producing music with your body as opposed to like pushing buttons. Oh, Shaka. So I remember like you mentioned, you know, wrestling growing up and everything. Are you still interested? Are you still interested or is it just kind of like? So, uh, yeah, I, I, I still, I follow a lot of wrestling on Twitter. I don't follow wrestlers per se. 
um, I get annoyed with anybody who tweets all the fucking time. Like, if, if, if I follow you and all of a sudden my timeline is just completely clogged up with your tweets and your retweets and shit you liked, I'm unfollowing you. Because I'm like, what the fuck are you doing with your goddamn life all day if you have that much fucking time to tweet? You know, you're literally like, I just had a thought. I'm going to tweet it out. Like, I don't care that much. Really excited about, you know, the things that you're doing to an extent. Really just focused on trying to keep my head above water. But anyways. You would have hated um, me in 2010. What do you say? You would have hated me in 2010. At least it was kind of funny, though. So, but like, you know, okay, so, so I haven't been following wrestling as much since the pandemic because I don't like the empty arena shit. The Thunderdome stuff is weird. Um, and, and truth be told, listening to the Jim Cornette show has not necessarily been the, me- the best motivation. Um, I have been in the last couple weeks because of the pure tournament i've been fucking with ring of honor again yes and realizing and realizing that pound for pound ounce for ounce match for match ring of honor might be the best wrestling company out there ever oh yeah totally you know because that's really what it is like you know never forget vincent man you know, he made it abundantly clear. I'll never forget hearing about the call between him and Ted Turner. It was something like Ted Turner saying, Vic, guess what, Vince? I'm getting the wrestling business. And Vince is like, that's nice, Ted, but we're in the entertainment business or we're competing ice capades or something like that. All right. So, but I remember you also mentioning that you actually helped set up some of the WWE events though, right? And AEW. Yeah. Um, yeah, in my in my yeah, I got to set up the first AEW show in DC. Holy shit! I was um, supposed to be there. That was a that was a lot of fun, uh, and then I went and bought a ticket. So I I bought I, I set it up, I bought a ticket, watched the show, then went back to work and took it all down. Uh, it was a two day production. Like AEW was so nervous, it was their first televised event on TNT, and so they showed up a full twenty four hours in advance just to make sure that all of the lighting and stuff was hung so that the day of the show they could just focus on building the ring, building the stage and not, you know, not have to rush and they could do, you know, <clears throat> tech rehearsals and that type of stuff. Um everybody was really really nice, you know. Um Cody smiles a lot. I didn't talk to any of the wrestlers. We're not allowed to talk to the wrestlers. Um but just after the show, seeing them all like hanging out Cornette would have hated it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, but, like, yeah, seeing them all hanging out and stuff, like, and just, it was a good energy. Everyone was super enthused, you know. The show the show did pop. They had a lot of, you know, they had some good moments. Um, you know, Moxley putting Kenny Omega through a glass coffee table. I could watch that on a fucking loop. Like, <laughs> God, all day. And it's weird. Like, there was all, it's, oh, man, we're going to have to give this dude a fucking percentage if we keep saying his name but like i there was a i had never heard of kenny omega really until aew and i was watching them on youtube like for a couple months um leading up to the dc show and the tnt premiere and there was always some when i first saw kenny omega i'm like hmm, he's interesting and then eventually i'm just like what the fuck is up with this dude? And it wasn't until I heard Coronet call him Jazz Hands. 
and and all the other nicknames I just was like, oh fuck, things I can't unsee for five hundred Alex. Like Exactly. You yeah. just you can't now. You can't. It's ruined. Cause why'd you have like yeah, Twinkle Toes. Twinkle Toes, that's what he calls him. Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang and Twinkle Kenny Olivier. Twinkle Toes McFinger Bang Jazz Hands. And Kenny Olivier. And Kenny Olivier, yes, that was the other one. Because I remember, because, all right, I remember when New Japan was on Axis TV, right? I, was, I quit, after New Japan got dropped, I quit watching Axis TV. It's not like I missed anything, because it's not like they were playing any of the cool 70s rock and everything. They were playing stuff, I'm like, oh, God. You know, that wince-worth, that kind of cringeworthy stuff. So, that being said, I was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. You know, you replaced with Impact? You know, so oh, like, yeah, I like I, I like watching old New Japan, like and and like New Japan wrestling like videos, like because I love the I love the Great Muda, oh yeah, and you know Jush and Thunder Liger, it's like I'm 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 old school like that, so oh yeah, you know, and it's it's like original Bullet Club, yes, like that era, you know, like that's that era, you know, by the time, yeah. It, they kind of had the same situation with the NWO where they got too big and then it fractured. It and like, oh, God, did, geez. you oh, know. But like the thing with we're the... all Bullet Club now. You're a Bullet Club. I'm a Bullet Club. He's a Bullet Club. Exactly. You know, and the funny thing I like, I love the idea of the Bullet Club. Actually, you know, and the funny thing about it is, it just kind of like it became a pop culture thing. Like you're starting to see more Bullet Club shirts at a WWE event. More oh, than their own it, merch. Well, and it was funny because, again, like before I even really got into it and I was like late to the game, I would see the shirts in the crowd and be like, oh, yeah. What the fuck is this? Is this oh, shit. Oh, That's yeah. a thing? And then it was like, oh, Bullet Club. Oh, fuck. I got it now, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know. Um, and then I did my like do nerd diligence and went on YouTube and tried to find as much shit about them as I could. Um, which is a fun, that was a fun rabbit hole. Oh, to totally. Dive, to, to dive down. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, I, I want to, I want to watch, I want to watch more. I feel like I want to watch more because I think, you know, it's fun to talk about. Oh, yeah. I'd like to actually know what I'm talking about. I'm really blown, though, by so much of, what's going on like what they did with Keith Lee in you know moving him from NXT giving him the belt and then taking him the belt and moving him to, to 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 raw and just like okay yeah that's a move up but like you just threw him in this bigger pond with all these people my kids love Keith Lee when they watch Keith Lee shoulder tackle Adam Cole into like the 50th row like they lost their minds it was amazing Aww. you know and they loved Velveteen Dream but now we can't have fucking Velveteen Dream thank you motherfucker well it isn't uh, his name actually huh Velveteen Dream yeah 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 I know fuck yeah, but no. like you know being from DC like I know. You know we would hear them shout out Capitol Hill and lose our like dude we got a pop he would pop in my fucking living room every goddamn time they said his name of course you know? and yeah. then he had to go and fuck that shit up so oh yeah oh yeah 
That's a bit disappointing. Oh, I know, right? And it's like, oh my god. I've always seen like a parallel between punk rock and pro wrestling, right? I've always seen them as kind of like cousins, dare I say, right? In fact, a lot of wrestlers I got to know, a lot of them were either involved in, in whether either their punk scene, metal scene, whatever, right? Would you say that there's, have you noticed that kind of kinship between pro wrestling and punk rock? No, dude. Both attract freaks. Like, not necessarily, okay. The people that participate in pro wrestling, the wrestlers, like, those are not normal people. No. These are not, these not. are not people that think on a conventional level. They do not see the world through the same eyes Dude. as average conventional people. And I feel like if if you are into punk, you are you 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 view the world through a a, a, a different lens as well. Um, both of them require sacrifice and some pain, and you both of them will leave you subject to judgment and ridicule. Depending on no, very, both of them are not very profitable, <laughs> unless unless you are like of a very particular echelon. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? Or genre, like both are a labor of love. Shoot, we've all placed outlaw mud shows too. Yeah, you know, dude. I mean, that's the one thing when when Coronet goes on about uh, the outlaw mud shows, like those are the punk rock shows of the fucking wrestling world. Oh, totally, absolutely. If if it wasn't for those, if it wasn't for those indie shows, these people wouldn't, you know. True. What the fuck else are they going to do? You want to wrestle? You want to wrestle? There's only so many wrestling companies that are going to be paying people. Like, I mean, there's there's only one W. There's only one company paying WWE money. Exactly. Like, so what else? If you have that passion, you have that drive. What the fuck else are you going to do? Oh yeah. You going to try to get that shit out anywhere, dude? As 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 someone who plays in a punk band, man, I've played in fucking slaughterhouses. I've played in fucking ice cream shops. I, you know, I don't, I don't give a fuck, dude. I'll play in your fucking dentist fucking waiting room. If there's people there that will listen to us and appreciate it. I played in fucking bingo halls. <laughs> Supreme Commander's first show was in a fucking bingo hall. Sounds about right. fire station, you know? So, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, it, it is what it is, man. Shoot. It is what it is. Yeah, I can see that, you know what I mean? Like... All right, one thing I've been wanting to do for years, just kind of the vanity thing. I've always wanted to play 2300 Arena hmm. for obvious reasons. Well, you know what? The one thing that I liked about Lucha Underground was they had a house band. Yes. I feel like if more wrestling companies, like if Ring of Honor or if Impact had a house band, like, you know, WWE in a sense has a house band in the fact that, like, they have the same people that make all the intro music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For everybody. Which, like, I had, like, I had a pretty nerdy rabbit hole moment where I might have been a little obsessed with the entrance music for Shinsuke. Um, who else? Alistair. I was obsessed with his for a minute. Um, oh, shit. Um, oh shit! I can't believe I'm blanking on her name. Japanese female WWE with the masks. Oscar. Oscar, yeah, dude. Her fucking original music when she when they when they teamed her up with Kyrie and they changed the fucking. I was pissed. I oh, was yeah. 
pissed. But then she went solo and she got her original music back. Yeah, her walk music is fucking dope. <laughs> Japanese metal is badass. Oh Anyways. yeah, totally. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Shit, man. Yeah, but yeah, the punk. Yeah, the crossover between punk and wrestling is not. You know, it's me. You know, punk is music for freaks. Do you have any backstage stories though? Um. I mean, not. Uh, okay, so one time we had to set up for for Monday Night Raw. I think it was actually a Raw SmackDown Super Show. Nice. It was like five five hours of fucking you know two shows, um, and two tapings back to back. And so I got there at oh my god o'clock in the morning. We loaded everything in, we set everything up. You know, they're like, get the fuck out of here. We'll see you at 9 o'clock or whatever. Get ready for loadout. And I had stashed my bag because I didn't feel like going through security with all my tools because depending on who's there, sometimes the staff, sometimes the security staff at the arena, which is what I'm going to call it now because it's been five different things since it opened. Um, Smart move. Yeah, like... Depending on who's there, they, they, they're, they're inconsistent. I'll be generous. Okay. To say they're inconsistent. And so I'm like, I'm going to leave my tools. I'm going to stash my bag somewhere here behind the the fat suits that they used to wear um, in between at halftime at the Wizards games. Okay. Like, you know, the sumo suits and shit. Okay. Uh, so we get back. We get in. I get in. I go to security. I go down. I'm in the bell. I'm in the belly of the arena. I go to get my bag, and Titus O'Neil and Triple H are standing there having a conversation in this relatively small space that, like, you know, they were between me and my bag. And I was, like, a little bit late. And in my industry, if you are on time, you are late. So I'm like, fuck, 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 fuck. We're not allowed to talk to the talent. How am I going to do this? And then I was like, fuck it, you only die once. So I ever so gently put my hand on Triple H's arm. I was like, excuse me, gentlemen. <laughs> but uh, I have to go to work, and my tool bag is right over there. Just point to the bag, and both of them, nice as could be. Oh, hey, yeah, shit, yeah, no problem, man. Here, here you go. Oh, no. Uh, you know, have a good shift, man. Thanks a lot. You know, Triple H actually like thank you know, yo, you guys do great work. Also, you know, okay. Um, again, I barely touched that dude. That was like the most rock solid fucking shit I'd ever put my fucking hands on. These <laughs> dudes are like wearing, you know, suits that cost more than my fucking car, and they're the suits are hanging on to them for dear life. Like the Titus could have fucking flexed, and that thing would have just evaporated. You know what I mean? Triple H, like it would have. Yeah, it was brutal, but um, they were like, uh, yeah, they they were super classy. Um, and I got my bag, and nobody told on me for talking to the talent, and uh, it was great. Oh, actually, I do have another story that happened probably like ten years. Shit, this was in two thousand five, and we went to it was uh it was the MCI Arena back then, and it was uh Monday Night Raw. And it was the, the I think the I think the head the main event was Undertaker versus the Great uh, Khali, and 
It was the first time I ever saw someone get hit with the stairs live. That was great. Um, place went nuts. But a friend of mine who was working wardrobe for them called me up and was like, hey, uh, I just heard that Ric Flair is celebrating his sixth wedding engagement at this club down the street. Um, you should go check it out. And I was like, try and stop me. <laughs> so me and my three friends that I was with, I tell them about this. We are like psyched. We're ready to go. Um, two of my friends get into a fight because one of them jokingly called the other a John Cena fan. <laughs> jokingly <laughs> accused the other of being a John Cena fan. This person was so offended by that, they literally went into a screaming fuck you frenzy on the Metro platform. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. And so I sort of Homer Simpson into the bushes <laughs> and excused myself for the situation because I was like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to this motherfucking party. <laughs> like, I'm going to go hang out with some wrestlers. So, so I get to this fucking club and I'm on the phone trying to like convince them to like, yo, come on, man. Stop being silly. Like, come on. It's going to be great. Come on. Come on. Come on. And as I'm having this conversation and I'm walking down the stairs because it was a basement lounge place, I passed Road Warrior Animal and my voice jumps up like two octaves. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm just on the phone. I'm going to get down Like, it was. R.I.P. to Animal. R.I.P. Animal. Yeah. And so. I walk in, and my hand to God, the first thing I see is Flair, Ric Flair and Batista fucking on the dance floor. Flair looks like he's doing the robot. Um, I don't know what the fuck Batista's doing, but he's dancing. They're like the first thing I see, and then I look around the room, and Chavo is there. Uh, Orlando. Is it Orlando Johnson? Orlando Jones? Orlando no, Jordan. Orlando Jordan, yes. He was there. Um, I think Melina was there because I think her and Chavo were an item at the time. Allegedly. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Um, and a few other people that escaped me. Um, and so, yeah, I'm in there hanging out. There's a whole fucking spread, sushi, bottles of Dom, like the, the works. And a friend of mine who's bar, uh, turns out a friend of mine is barbacking there. So, boom, we're like hanging out, partying, and shooting the shit. He's telling me about how he just sold a bunch of fucking blow to, to, to Flair in the bathroom. And I'm like, oh, my God. I want to do cocaine with Ric Flair. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Uh, I never got a chance to, but I can at least say that I did cocaine in the same room as Ric Flair. Or at least hey. in the same bathroom. Um, hey. And so we're having this, like, crazy long-ass conversation in a bathroom stall that's going on for fucking way too long. And I convinced my friends – uh, out of the three of them, I convinced two of them to come back, to come meet me at the party. So I'm like waiting for them. I come out of the bathroom, and for some reason, all of the wrestlers are shirtless now. And still dancing, and popping bottles, and spraying champagne shit everywhere, like you think somebody won the fucking Super Bowl or whatever. Um, it was some wild shit. And then my friend showed up, and one of them actually worked um, at a restaurant or a cafe or something with Batista's daughter. Really? And he, and he had met him once when Batista came to go visit her. Oh, sweet. So we, he was like, he was already, he was like, dude, he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go say hi. 
We're like, well, we're fucking going with you. And so we walk over. He introduces, hey, blah, 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 I'm so-and-so. I'm just like friends with your daughter we met when you came to. Oh, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Super fucking cool. Holding a fucking glass of champagne in his hand. is like, yeah, you know, just we kind of found about, snuck up in there. He thought it was hilarious that we, like, crashed their party and shit. Um, nobody said anything. I think because I'm so big. Nobody said anything. They like, just assumed if yeah. you didn't know me, you assumed I was with somebody. You, you could know? have been enhancement talent, though. You know, right? I could have been. I could have been development. Who fucking knows? You're like six three, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you could have fit in there easy. You know. And so, uh, so finally, he, um, my other friend's like, "Yo, can we get a picture with you?" He's like, "Yeah, of course. Wow, yeah." So he gets his arms around us to give the camera to somebody to take it. And my friend bumps, uh, she had a glass of champagne in her hand. And when she went to go put her arm around him, she spilled the entire glass down the back of his fucking pants. Oh, shit. Down his ass crack. Straight down his fucking ass crack. Down Dave Batista's ass crack. Yikes. Down Drax the Destroyer's fucking ass crack. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he sees, he tenses up while he's got his arms around us. And I am like, this is the moment where we all die. <laughs> this little voice in my head, it's like, yep, here we go. <laughs> like, why didn't I call my mom for this? But he Damn. took it as a, he was like, whoa, he's like, man, that was refreshing. <laughs> it just like kept on going, dude. Like it was, uh, it was great. And like that happened. We we're like, okay, we have eaten their sushi. We have drank their Dom Perignon. We have done, we have breathed their rarefied air. We have managed to spill their champagne on them and not get killed in the process. We should leave. And so we left on the highest of high notes. We called our friend that didn't come and completely rubbed their fucking faces in it. Like, you know, you fucking missed out. No idea where that fucking picture is. I would love to have that fucking picture. Shoot. I would love to have a copy of that picture. I was like, yeah, because we only took the one. We only took the one. We weren't trying to be fan. And it was because at the time, Batista was like, it was, you know, it was Pete Batista and him being from D.C. Like, oh, yeah. The only other person I gave a shit about in that room was Flair. No disrespect to Chavo. Understood. Or, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, like, presence of greatness. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course. Fuck. So. All right. So tell us more about any projects you have you want us to check out and everything. So um, you should definitely check out the District of Misfits show, which is um, my podcast, and you can find that on Facebook. Um, we are not on a regular schedule right now, so but if you go to Facebook, uh, to our page, we have all of our past episodes, particularly those that we've done uh, via Zoom um, these last few months, uh, you can go to crushingdc.com to get, um, District of Misfits show apparel as well as, uh, new apparel from Crushing DC, uh, Upset the Setup and DC as fuck, uh, among other things. Um, and yeah, go to my, uh, SoundCloud and check out my music and click on it and tell me that you like it. And, uh, hopefully soon, um, well, hopefully, before not too long, things will 
get to a point where we can hang out in person again. Oh, totally. You know, it was really cool seeing it at that big Tony birthday bash. You know, <laughs> you know, that was a great time. What I what I remember of it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yep, I remember you because I remember I remember the septum piercing. Yeah, I think I proposed to someone that night. Sound like a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were at the Fishbone Show 2017, right? Oh yes. Yep. Yeah, that was the last time we hung out. All right. Well, great chatting with you. You know, looking forward to it. You know, definitely want to check out all. Definitely want to check out CrushingDC.com and everything, and also DC as fuck. Looking forward to it. Um, take it easy. You too, brother. All right. Stay safe. All right. Peace. All right. That was Boot Dixon. Check out Supreme Commander on Bandcamp. CrushingDC.com and District of Misfits on Facebook. Peace.